Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome, everybody, to My Independence Report. My name is Kevin McDonald, and I've got a rare and exciting treat for you today. Uh, we have a gentleman on the line with us who's going to be with us for the entire hour, and or, or as long as I can keep him. I don't know how long I can keep him going, but uh, I'm going to keep him here for as, <laughs> as long as I can. His name is Sean Eli. He is a comic of note, and if you want to follow along, you can go to his website which is www.brainchampagne.com. Got to ask you about that name and where that came from. But uh, in your uh, um, in your bio, I was reading that you've had quite a little bit of success, that you're a comedy writer of note, in addition to a performer. As a matter of fact, you were a writer before you were a performer. Is that right? I think all comedians, well, unless you start as an actor, you have to have something to say, so you have to write before you can get on stage. Oh, but exactly. Yeah, but I was a... I was a comedy writer before I started, long before I started performing. How did you get into, my, my son, he loves stand-up comedy. Just you know, every time he comes over, we, we look at a bunch of guys on YouTube and stuff. How is it that you got into uh, comedy writing in the first place? And it's really a, is an art form, isn't it? I, it's an unrespected or disrespected art form. People don't seem to think that, well, the performing arts get less, less, uh, praise than visual arts but i think even among performing arts people look at stand-up comedy as something silly and drama gets more attention but to answer your question i got started i i guess as a high school student if i thought it's something funny i wrote it down and after college i would i had a job in business and i would read the paper on the train i'd read a news story and think of something funny and then Jay Leno had just gotten The Tonight Show, and he would be telling the same jokes I was thinking of that morning. So I called and said, hey, I want to write for you. And they said, well, we have no openings, but you can freelance. And I started faxing him jokes. To give you an idea how long ago it was, there were fax machines. <laughs> yeah. and, and that was, for those of you that don't know, uh, Jay Leno took the place of Johnny Carson, and who now Jay Leno's kind of retired and doing his own thing. And... Uh, who, who's it now? I've forgotten. It's Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yeah. I would say, and if you're 100 plus years old, uh, Johnny Carson took it from Jack Parr, who took it from Steve Allen. I think I have that order right. I think you're right, too. I think you're right, too. So it's, it's, it's been uh, a, a, a show that's been on for a long time. And how many, how many writers do, does a show like that take? How many people does it take to put their, their monologue together and to get all that stuff together? If I remember right, the Tonight Show under Jay Leno had the most writers of any TV show. But, of course, they had to fill five hours a week. I think it was 17. But they weren't all monologue writers because there were sketches and other stuff they had to do as well. Wow. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. So you um, – and I want to kind of explain the art form of being a 
uh, comic because your job, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, your job is to make us believe that everything you're saying is like off the cuff and right off the top of your head. And it's just, you're just an incredibly funny guy all the time, but that's, it's a lot of work to put that together. Isn't it? Yeah. I suck at that. I, <laughs> I, I, I very often sound way too, I wouldn't say I sound like I'm reciting, but I sound more recite than I should as a stand-up comedian. And it's a skill that, you know, people keep working on. Some people are good at it and some not so good. Well, but you, you, from what I've been reading in your bio and stuff, you're really quite good at it. And you're a corporate comedian. You get uh, a lot of, uh, prior to, I guess everything's got to be prior to the current right. shitty situation we find ourselves in. In in uh, prior to COVID, that you did, did a lot of comedy comedy for businesses and corporate stuff, and 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 in for large groups of folks, and you write for other folks. So that's right. wonderful. Well, I've I've stopped writing. I used to write for Leno and then two other late night talk show hosts. I don't do that anymore. So I'm basically writing for myself. Oh, very good, very good. How is world the world for you in COVID land? Uh, well, career wise, it sucks because there's all I was. I have a show on Friday, I, telling you before we started recording, uh, in somebody's backyard for 10 people. And while I wouldn't turn my nose up at that in normal circumstances, that's all I got. That's the only thing. I have a, a, a few shows on Zoom here and there. I did outdoor shows before it got cold because I'm in New York. And there are some of my colleagues travel. They'll get on planes. They'll fly to comedy clubs where the clubs are open. And, and a few have driven to stuff, you know, in New York, not in New York, in New Jersey or Connecticut, but. I'm not ready to do that. I'm not going to, I don't want, I said, I don't want to become the funniest comic in America because everybody else died. <laughs> well, and you also don't want to, to make your family sick and, and do all, and do yeah. all that. So you kind of, it's, it's, it kind of sucks. You got to really be careful. I don't, don't, don't talk about my family. I don't want to make me sick. <laughs> hell with everybody else. <laughs> that, 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 well, that's true. That's, that's true. So tell us about your, your life as a comic. Are you, you spend a lot of time on the road? Um, more now than I used to. Uh, my parent, when my parents were alive and old, I didn't want to travel so far. But in the last few years, I've gone to other places, you know, not just the U.S., but I've traveled to other countries to perform. So, so far, I'm, a, I'm up to five continents. Well, there's only two left. It's, yeah. Uh, and I don't think there are very many clubs in Antarctica. Uh, I actually tried really hard to get a gig in Antarctica just so I could get that continent. <laughs> and because they have, I mean, it's everybody in Antarctica is a scientist with one exception. There is a sort of cultural exchange program where they have artists come to Antarctica for, for a few weeks to work. But what they're looking for is photographers and painters and stuff like that. They're not looking for somebody to fly in do a show and fly out because space on every single flight that goes into, into Antarctica or comes out is very limited. So they're not going to stick, you know, a person in that is not of use to them. Yeah, but humor is a very important, and you talk about this, humor is a very important part of our lives. And talk a little bit more about that. Well, you know, it's funny. People say, were you funny as a kid? And I say, all kids are funny. You look at little kids and they, they're playing and they're laughing constantly. And then as we get older, I think the ability to produce comedy very often gets beaten out of us because you say something as a smart ass and in school they tell you to shut up or your parents say, you know, don't talk like that at the dinner table. Stop making fun of your sister or, you know, the groceries or whatever. And then people sort of lose it. 
but I, I think people need comedy. Comedy, I have this on my website. Uh, I put in something. I did some research a few months ago. All the benefits of humor to your health. Because people have done studies and laughter lowers blood pressure. It makes people happier. There's a million reasons why people just need to laugh more. Well, and it just gives us a little bit of a, a of a lightness to our day, rather than it being so dark sometimes. And the way that the way that we tend to look at life, we look at it as as a dark uh, a moment that goes from one disaster to the next disaster. And it's it's great fun to have somebody laugh, and you're laughing with them. And uh, that's that what my son really enjoys. And when we get on YouTube and stuff and, and watch you guys. It really is a lot of fun because it makes us feel better. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have the best job in the world. I stand on stage and make people laugh, and they pay me for it. I can't think of anything better than that. What was it like the first time you got on stage? Were you scared? I, I was really nervous. I started – well, I started by taking a class, and a class is a good supportive place to start learning stand-up comedy. And then the end of the class, there's a show in a comedy club, you know, pre – they call it a pre-show. It's like 5.30 at night before the club is open to the pub. Well, this would be open to the public, but basically everybody in the audience is a friend or family member of the people in the class. So you're performing in front of people who really are there to watch everybody succeed. And I said to the guy who run, ran it, because some of the people in the class had done comedy before and I hadn't. And some, like there were people who'd done stand-up 50 times. And at the time I thought that was a lot. And now I realize it's nothing. But I said, I want to go early because I'm really nervous and I want to get this over with. Just don't put me first. So of course he put me first. <laughs> Do you know, now that you tell that story, that is also on uh, Netflix. What is? Your, it's either Netflix, one of the, one of the, um, one of the, that story, unless, unless somebody plagiarized it, uh, was, is, is on either Netflix or YouTube, right? You mean somebody, my story telling it or somebody else telling it? Uh, that, well, I don't know who, I, I can't remember the, the, the exact face, but it was that story that they were in a comedy, um, uh, class and that, uh, you got up first because you wanted, you know, and so you ended up going first and stuff. Is that, was that not you? Um, I don't know that I've told this story anywhere that it would have been on Netflix or YouTube, but it's, it's possible because. One of the things I do at shows I put together very often is we'll do at the end of the show, we'll do a Q&A with the audience and they'll ask questions. And I compiled a couple of the Q&A videos and put them on YouTube. So it's possible you saw it, although I don't think they're listed videos. So it would have been harder to find. I, I don't know, but that that is uh, um, but I suppose that there are more people that do that that same thing and they have the comedy. Uh, how, how many people when you of those people that were in your class? that wanted to be stand-up comics, how many still are today? And the, this was 17 years ago. Um, there's actually three of us that I know of that are still doing it, which is a pretty big number in a class of about 25 or 30 people. But there were sort of two sections of the class. And you could, basically the teacher said, the class meets Tuesday and Thursday, you can pick one, and it doesn't have to be the same one, just show up to whichever day you want to every week. So you could go Tuesday one week, Thursday another week. And the graduation show, there were two different shows. So I don't know that I knew everybody in the class. Ah, but but three are still um, um, active in, 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 do they call it the circuit? People do. I think it's weird because it's not like there's a circuit. It's not like you go from here to here to here to there to there and then back home. 
So, but there, there are, so what do you call it? <laughs> just, you're just booking yourself? Yeah, I, I would call, I don't know, the industry, the business, the hellhole. <laughs> the, exci- the exciting part, because it's, it's, it's got to be a lot of fun to, to make people laugh. How bad is it when you're trying to make them laugh and nobody is? Uh, you'd have to ask somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it gets really game. rare as you get better at it, because even if you have a problem, you learn how to deal with it. So as an example, I was doing a show a bunch of years ago, and it was a Temple Men's Club. It was like 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And they, they have bagels and, and they have speakers and they decided to have a comedian and I'm there and it's just not going well. And I finally looked at them and I said, you know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning for me too. <laughs> and, and that made, you just, you had to break the ice. There are people who say, oh, if things aren't going well, you shouldn't address it and you have to address it. Yeah, I, I would imagine you do, and especially if you get a heckler in the audience, some guy who's had just a little bit maybe too much to drink and thinks he's funnier than you are. You know, that doesn't happen as often as people think. But also I discovered something early on. If you're in a comedy club and there's 10 comics, let's say, and I'll explain why there might be in a minute, but if most of them are in T-shirts and sneakers and you're even in just a polo shirt and boots – you look so much more grown up that they don't t- talk back to you. They'll talk back to everybody else. <laughs> and it really makes a big difference. So I dress a little better on stage than a lot of people, and it, it helps. And what, the, Go ahead. I was just going to say the reason you might have 10 comedians in a comedy club show is in New York and L.A., there's so many comedians. They don't have the typical three comic show where you have an opener, a middle act, and a closer uh, like you would in a comedy club everywhere else in the world. But there's so many comedians in places like New York or L.A. or London that they can just throw a lot of comics into one show and then basically barely pay anybody. <laughs> which, is, which is how the comedy clubs survive, I suppose, is yeah. by getting people to pay lots of money for drinks and getting and then not paying much for you. Well, listen, every business does better if they have cheaper labor. <laughs> That's true. But you guys are the entertainment. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's a it's a funny thing. Somebody, I wish I remember who pointed this out. What will typical hap- typically happen when a comedy club isn't doing well is they'll do what's known as papering the room. They'll give away tickets just to get more people in to buy the drinks. So, and But then they have less money to pay the comedians. So instead of having three comics, maybe they'll have two comics, and they'll get lesser comics and pay less. And it's a death spiral. As somebody pointed out, when you do that, you're cutting back on the one thing people are actually coming for. Because nobody's coming to drink. They're coming to see a show. The drinks are just something else. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's great for them, you know, for people to go and have a nice, relaxing several hours of, of uh, having somebody make them laugh and, and have a good time with their friends and, and stuff. Now, there are comics out there that do shtick or do have a particular persona that they take on. Do you do any of that? The guy who takes his shirt off comes to mind. I'm not even sure I have a personality, so I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't know how to answer that. No, I mean, I just go out and talk. And, you know, it's, it's really funny. When I started, the instructor used Bill Cosby in a lot of examples. Obviously, he wouldn't do that now. And Bill Cosby tells stories about his family. Um or did anyway. And I looked at that and I said, you know, I would like to be a storytelling comedian. It's a lot better for a lot of reasons to do that rather than just a bunch of short, unrelated jokes. 
And I thought, I wish I had something funny to say about that. And then as I've evolved, I've realized a lot of things in my life are funny and I can talk about them on stage. And I'm really glad I'm not Bill Cosby. He at one time, uh, the, uh, um, the, the film himself comes to mind uh, when he was talking about his family and they were, and it's too bad that where he's ended up today, but it's, you know, what do you, what do you do? Um, you'd like to think that when somebody comes on stage like that, that they are a certain kind of person um, on stage and off stage. And they're that same, but I've been around a lot of folks that, that are one way in public and in another way somewhere else. You know, it's funny. There's a guy I started in comedy with who, I don't know if he's still around. He, he got a little bit popular for a little bit of time and then seems to have disappeared. But he was a, he, best way to describe it, he was a flaming asshole on stage. He was just a jerk to the 10th degree. And people would say, oh my God, he's so good at playing that character. And I'm like, uh, no, that's him. He's a jerk. <laughs> and so his persona worked for him just being naturally being a jerk. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because I would see him do this, the exact same act told the exact same way two nights in a row. And sometimes audiences would really love it. And sometimes they'd be like, I don't want to listen to this guy. He's mean. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how do you, how, how do you judge the audience or can you judge the audience before you get on to pick the type of material that you think will work for them? I always try, if I'm not the first one up, to see what's going on before I get there. There's some comedians who won't even go into the room until it's their turn. And I want to watch the audience. I want to know where they're from. I also want to hear what the comedian before me is talking about. Because if I can, if I can tag on their jokes, you know, come up with other punchlines on the same premise, the audience loves that because they know that I just thought of that off the cuff because I just heard the last person talking about it. even if it's not true, because I followed the same comedian a bunch of times and already knew what they were going to talk about. But certainly it looks that way. So you can tell that you can also sometimes just see what they're laughing at. If they're a smart audience, if they're maybe a little slow, maybe there's a bunch of people from other countries and all you have to do is talk a little more slowly and wait for them to come to you. And then comedians get on and they talk like this and then they don't realize the reason the audience isn't laughing is because they can't follow you because you're going too fast. That's, that's, that's really interesting. So, so when you, when you spend your time, you look at the audience and you try and, and determine what's going to be a good fit for them. And then you talk a little bit slower if you need to. Now you were talking about being a storyteller. Um, I, I happen to think that storytelling comics are the best because you're talking about all the things that happen to all of us on a day-to-day -day basis, only you put a funny spin on it. Right. Well, not always stuff that happens to, to us on a day-to-day -day basis. My stories aren't about, you know, getting on airplanes or staying in hotel rooms, but there's some, you know, driving, and then there's just weird stuff that's happened in my life that I guess could have happened to anybody, but it happened to me. Can you give us an example? Well, here's a... This is maybe an example of something that didn't happen to other people, but I had a problem with my cell phone. The caller ID start when I called somebody was displaying somebody else's name. And I went through, I went through hell with, the, with my cell phone carrier to get him to try to fix it. And that became like a six or seven minute story, which I've only done a couple of times because I was writing that story when COVID happened, basically. <laughs> but I also have stories about, you know, dating a vegetarian or fighting a parking ticket. 
How many people do you know that would go to appeals court to fight a parking ticket for 25 bucks? <laughs> well, it, I, I know with nobody because you were there and you, it, your ticket ended up on your car because it was parked in the wrong spot. So you Yeah, know. so I, I threw a fit and was found guilty and I was upset because the law was pretty clear. So I appealed it. And when you go into appeals court in Philadelphia, where I was living at the time, um, there's one appeals court for everything. And I'm fighting a parking ticket and everybody around me is a real criminal. So I got a good story out of it. So that's something I tell on stage. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So you, you, a lot of the stuff that, uh, that you write comes from your personal experiences? I would say more than half is stuff that's just happened to me. And then there's stuff I've made up. Do you blend the two sometimes? You know, I have colleagues who say everything they talk about is true, or at least I have a colleague who says what she talks about is true, but when she said her kid said something, it's really her reaction to what her kid said that ends up in the act. But she gives the kid the punchline because it's funnier if the kid said it. But I, yeah, I mix the two sometimes. And I have silly stuff. For instance, I have a joke. I rarely tell it, but I say, I hate it when my low, you know, I talk about driving. And I say, I hate it when my low fuel light comes on. Because that means if a friend calls me and asks me to help him bury a body, I have to do it within a 10-mile radius of my house. <laughs> now, that's not actually happening to me. No. <laughs> I would, although you, you do live in the eastern part of the United States, and, and there is, yeah. you know. Some right, that's not a Seattle joke. That's a New York joke. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, do you find audiences regionally are just different? You know, people say sometimes in the Midwest they're just not sarcastic, so they don't get sarcasm or they think, you know, people are just mean if they're sarcastic. That hasn't been my observation, but the first country outside of the U.S. that I performed in was South Africa. And I thought, oh, you know, Western country, native English speaker is not a problem. And my jokes are, I thought, pretty universal. So I'd asked the booker before I got there. I went through my entire set and I said, the only reference I have that may not work is Craigslist. And I asked, and she said, oh, yeah, we have Craigslist here. People know it. Not a problem. And I get there and I do the joke and it just doesn't go anywhere. And I asked, I actually didn't even ask. One of the comedians came up to me afterward and he said, well, we know Craigslist. We've heard of it, but we don't use it. We use something called Gumtree. So change the reference to Gumtree and it worked better. But my sense of humor did not go over that well there. And I really had to, every night I was going through my list and crossing out the jokes that didn't work and swapping in others. So at the end of four or five days, I pretty much had 45 minutes that worked, but it was hard. <laughs> How long does it take to write 45 minutes of good, solid material that you can rely on? Uh, for me, I would probably guess years, three, four, five years. Um, there, but there are comedians who do the same act their whole career, and there are comedians who are just joke machines and just crank it out. And there's a comic I, I work with pretty frequently, Joe DeVito, who's really funny. And I said, Joe, you, you're constantly cranking out new material. And he said, I just get bored really easily doing the same act. So I don't want to be doing the same act a year from now. But most people, if 45 minutes in a year is really, really hard. I know it sounds like not much. It's under a minute a week, but it's hard. 
Well, it, I could only imagine because it's it, it's hard. It would be hard to write the material and then to keep it fresh. What 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 do comics do that appear on things like Netflix and they've got their whole act and then it it goes national and now they can't use that anymore. They have to come up with new stuff. Yeah, it's called burning your material. It used to be that way. If you were on Johnny Carson, you did five or six minutes. You could never tell that joke those jokes again because America had seen it. Now it's not such a big deal if you're not a big act because people coming to a club to see a show haven't necessarily seen you on, you know, haven't seen your special, but if you reach the level where you're famous enough that your fans are coming out to see you, they don't want to see stuff that they've heard already. So once you do your special, you've really got to have material behind it to go on tour. Exactly. Now there's only one guy that I can think of Ron white that, that does, some things that are the same because they've become so popular, like like he got thrown the the skit he, I got thrown out of a bar in New York City, um, and that that one he does it because it's almost like a greatest hits kind of thing that he does that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean Robert Klein has the same thing with I can't stop my leg. People who know him want to go hear that, and if you go see Jeff, I haven't seen Jeff Foxworthy in years, but. I imagine they want to hear some, you might be a redneck if, but at least that premise, he can just keep cranking out punchlines. So it doesn't have to be the same jokes. Well, and he's, he's got, he's got books, he's got films, he's got, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the redneck group and all that. I mean, he's, you, he's, he's made quite a name for himself. He's done really, really quite well. And generally it's a hard business though, isn't it? It's hard to make a good deal of money to make a living. Well, yeah, I have to tell your audience, stop seeing the famous people. They don't need your money. <laughs> Go to the comedy club in your town. We got several that are good here. Yeah, Seattle's a good town for comedy. Yeah, so no, I, I agree. I agree with you. And uh, now, do you go to comedy clubs just to work on material? Yeah, you know, everybody goes down a level or two in a way to work on new material. So if you're a new comic and you're getting a little bit of club work, you don't want to try new material at the club because what if it fails? So you go to an open mic night or you try it on friends or, or you do it on an off night. But if you're, I mean, I'm not going to do new material at a, at a corporate show or, or a big show, but you know, in somebody's backyard in two days, I can do new material because if it doesn't work, I'll just abandon it and move on. But you've got to work on new material somewhere. I've actually been doing shows on my during COVID on my street for my neighbors. We have a weekly happy hour. And for weeks, my neighbors were saying, come on, do some stand-up comedy. And I said, I don't want to do that. You know, I just want this to be a social occasion. And then I'm like, I have all these jokes I've never tried out. I'm going to try the jokes on my neighbors. And that was really helpful. Oh, that's good. Cause, uh, so that works for you um, to be able to do that with your, with your neighborhood. And are you known throughout the neighborhood as the comedy guy? I guess so, just because I live in a small town with a Facebook group. <laughs> but if I were living in New York City, no. And if I were living in Astoria, Queens, I'd be one of about 50 comics. So you might not even be the funniest person in your building. <laughs> oh, man, that, that would suck. Uh, if, you, if you're working to make a living at it, then you're not even the funniest guy in, in, in the building. Well, I have um, a weird story about that. So I was working on the road with Ophira Eisenberg, who has her own show on NPR, and Nick Griffin, who's really funny. He's been on Letterman and, and you know, all the late night talk shows a bunch of times. And we're in my car driving to the gig, and I'm like, 
I'm the third funniest person in my own car. <laughs> and then we do we do the gigs, and Nick doesn't come back with us. So I'm driving with Ophira, and I'm like, oh, at least now I'm the second funniest person in my car. You moved up. I, yeah, I did. And then I dropped Ophira off at her apartment, and as she got out, I said, finally, I'm the funniest person in my car. And literally, as soon as she slams the door, I turn on the radio, and it's on it set on NPR, and it starts playing Ophira's show, and I'm like... <laughs> Now I'm still not the funniest person in my car. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with Sean Eli. He's got a website. He's a comic. And you should go there because he's got a bunch of stuff that he has from YouTube. And you can get a sampling of his his comedy. And then if you are a corporate guy and are in the position to book him for a show, as soon as they allow it, uh, you should book him because he really is funny. And you go to www.brainchampagne.com. Where did you get the name Brain Champagne? Well, you know, I started in comedy in 2003 and it doesn't sound like it was that long ago but the internet wasn't that big then so not i mean companies had websites individuals didn't have websites back then and very few comedians had websites because they weren't cheap it was 50 bucks a year just for the url and the comics who had websites it was their name.com and i thought well that's not going to work because Nobody's going to spell Sean Eli right. I, my spelling is going to be their third try. So I'm going to have to buy at least three different URLs. And nobody's going to remember it. I realized comics say their name and nobody remembers it. So I wanted a URL that would be memorable. And I thought, you know, I like champagne. I think of comedy as sort of like champagne for your brain. And it rhymes. And people remember it. They'll come up to me. I've had people come up to me and say, hey, your brain champagne. I have to say, well, it's not my name, but that's my website. But I learned, I learned a lesson from two people. There are two really funny comics. One is named Dom Irera, and the other is Al Lubell. And I remember seeing Dom Irera when I was a kid, and I would go to the comedy clubs in New York City. And he had a joke about his name, and he made fun of people screwing up his name. And I would leave the club thinking he's a very funny guy, but that joke really sucked. And as I became a comic, I realized he didn't care. He just wanted to say his name over and over again so people would remember it. And Al Lubell has at least five minutes just talking about his name. And so I realized if you want people to remember your name, you really have to joke about it. So in my act, I will refer to myself in the third person every once in a while. Or I'll say, so I said to my girlfriend, Jen, and then she said, hey, Sean, so I can work my name into my act. And then I make fun of my name. So it helps to get people to remember it. It's called branding. That is the word, yes. You have to you have to brand yourself in order to get through the word out there, so that people will will continually remember who you are, um, and how to get to where you're, you're the stuff that you're doing. And by branding, you mean giving yourself the equivalent of a trademark. You don't mean what they do to cattle. Correct. Which is, in a sense, the same thing because you're labeling it as your property. Exactly. But if you're going to put a if you're going to put a branding iron on your butt, I don't recommend that. That's not a good idea. Well, we have tattoos now, so you don't need to ah, do Good point. Good, good point. Um, walk me through it. If you are listening to this program and, you're, and you have said to yourself, I want to be a comic. I think I, I make people laugh. I have fun with it. Um, what steps do you recommend people do in order to become a professional comic? I will give advice that some comics will give you and others will dispute. But I say find four or $500 and take a comedy class 
because even a bad comedy class is way better than just going at it from scratch. And people will say you can't teach comedy, and I'll say you can teach a few things. You can teach mistakes not to make. You can teach a little bit of writing technique. You can help get people over their nervousness a little bit. And you can also be, you'll be learning a supportive environment with other people who may be your friends in comedy later on. So that's one way to do it. The other way is you've just got to write three or five minutes, go to an open mic night, and then suck mercilessly because nobody's good at anything when they start out. And then just keep going back and seeing what people laugh at and what they don't laugh at and crossing out all the words that you don't need. You could take an average new comics five minute set and it's really got only a minute and a half worth of relevant information in it. And the rest is just filler that doesn't need to be there. How do you teach timing? Uh, that I guess you got to learn. But you can, teach, you can teach a few things. You can say, you know, the punchline comes at the end of the joke is obvious, but the punch part of the punchline has to come at the end of the sentence. So that if you're still talking after the joke, then you're stepping on your own laughter. So that's something you can teach. And you can also teach slow the hell down. Chris Rock once said, if you think you're going too slowly, slow down. Because most people talk way too fast and don't give people a chance to laugh. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense because you 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 want to get through the material, and you and you you know it and you've memorized it, and so you want to get through it and you're excited about it and stuff. But it doesn't flow like it could if you were to slow down and treat each each uh, sentence in its own, right? Right, and you also have to speak clearly. You're not in a conversation with somebody in front of you. There's a sound system, there's difference, you know, there's distance, there's speakers on the wall, there's echoes, people have been drinking, there's noises. You have to speak clearly and more slowly for people to get it. But even beyond that, you've got to pay attention to it because as you said, people, especially when you're nervous, you tend to rush through things. And when things aren't going well, the instinct a comic has when things aren't going well is to step back and withdraw and get more, you know, in a monotone and rush through your material because it's unpleasant and you want to get that over with as fast as possible. And that's exactly the wrong thing to do because when things aren't going well, you have to slow down, step forward, be bolder, and that, that helps. So you need experience because it's scary when things aren't going well. What, what, what do you do when, when you get on stage and, and everybody's engaged in the conversation with their neighbor and they're, they're not, how do you get, get their interest? If, if, how do you, how do you get them to shut up and listen? Well, the beauty of not being the first guy up, not being the MC is that somebody else's job. Um, usually by the time you get up there, but I also MC a lot of shows and you one of the things I stress, usually somebody introduces you from offstage with a PA system. And I tell them, you, they have to shut up and you can't introduce me until they've shut up. I don't care what you got to do, but if they're talking through you, they're going to talk through me and that will ruin the entire show because we'll never get their attention. So you have to tell them, put away, you know, silence and put away your cell phones. Yeah, like now. <laughs> and, give, and that's what I say because... And people say, turn off your phone. Nobody listens to turn off your phone. Nobody turns off a phone. No. What they have to do is just put it in airplane mode or turn the ringer off. And that they'll do. But you have to give them a chance to do it. You tell them to do it and you keep talking, they're just going to listen to you instead of following your instructions. So 
I have pretty detailed instructions for how to introduce a comic so that you make sure not to introduce me until they, they have shut up. And what works remarkably well, and it may take, you know, 20 seconds, is just shh, shh, shh. Eventually, they will quiet down. And if that doesn't work, hey, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Sometimes helps. Do you ever just stand up there and look at them and wait I, for them to shut up? It, no, it doesn't work. Oh, okay. If you're not talking, they'll keep talking. You've got to quiet them down. Oh uh, well, and you can make it. You can make it funny and part of part of the uh, the show as well, uh, especially when you do the the MC work because that work seems to me is completely different than a different job than what the comedy's the comedy guy's job is. Well, it's a weird thing. We do this completely wrong in this country. Every other country in the world, at least English speaking that I know of, including Canada, does it better. In America, if it's a three-act show, you've got an MC who opens the show, does maybe 15 minutes, and a middle act called the feature who does a half hour, and a headliner who does usually 45 minutes. And they give the MC spot to the newest comic in the show. And that's really friggin' stupid, because that's the hardest job. You've got to get the audience laughing. And Audiences really do need to be warmed up. If you just go out there and start firing jokes at them, it doesn't work usually. They, it's a weird personal psychological dynamic that all of a sudden you're supposed to shut up and listen to somebody talking. They're going to make you laugh. So you got to bring them into the show. And usually at a comedy club, the way that works, the MC does with them is crowd work. Hi, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? Start, start to talk the, the audience into believing they're part of something. They're not that you break the fourth wall. They're not this audience far away. They're not over here and you're over here. It's all together. We're all having a communal experience, but it's hard to do. And when the MC is new, it's much harder in every other country. The MC is somebody who's also been a headliner. They pay the MC as much as they pay a headliner. And it's just a different job. So now you said that you have been in, by the way, we're talking with Sean Eli. He is a comic of note and go to his website, which is www.brainchampagne.com. Find out all about him. He's, he's a, he's a lot of fun and his, his comedy is really, and by the way, it's by and large pretty clean comedy, which means that he has to work at it harder than somebody who just throws the F-bomb all the time, right? To some extent, you know, there are some comics, most comics can't work clean and I just don't have any problem doing it because I don't tend to think all my jokes should be about sex or full of dirty words. I just, just not the way my mind works, but I will say this occasionally I want to use a curse word and I wouldn't use it in a corporate show or a charity event, but uh, in a comedy club once in a while, because I have some jokes that just work better with curse words. Sometimes it just feel better when, when, when you're doing that. Now, how do you approach, like if you go down to Australia um, or you go to England, uh, they're both English-speaking countries, but different words mean different things. How much research do you have to do that to build that into your act? Um, you've got to learn. You, I would think if you screw up badly, somebody will tell you. Um, but I haven't had a problem with other than, you know, Craigslist. I haven't really had a problem with vocabulary, but I asked, you know, is there anything I should know that, or what do Americans screw up? And if there's something that Americans screw up in a foreign country, somebody will usually tell you. 
Oh, good. Well, because like in England, I know that uh, if you're if you're really really pissed, you're drunk off your ass. Right. And here you're angry. Um, so if you don't know that going there, it might ruin the whole joke. Well, the beauty of being from America is all the all the entertainment everybody gets in the world, or at least a big chunk of it, is from America. So they know American vocabulary. We not might not know that a Chesterfield is a couch unless we've been to England, but they know what a couch or a sofa is, even if it's not the word they use. But I mean, I know there's, I have a joke about a love seat, which is a two person sofa. And I discovered not everybody knows what that is. So when I tell the joke, I have to explain it, <laughs> but no, the rest of the world knows our vocabulary. The other way around is the Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, is there anything that uh, you'd like to add to talk to our audience about? Any, any, Anything at all? I, I give you the floor to do what you'd like to do, sir. How about promotion? I can tell you that if you go to my website, which you've already mentioned is brainchampagne.com, there's not just videos of me performing and some other silly videos on there. There's about 50,000 words worth of comedy content on my website. And to give you an idea... A novel is usually less than 100,000 words. So that's half a novel's worth of jokes. That's a lot to laugh at. In, indeed. Now, do you allow anybody, if, if somebody were to go to your website and then use some of those jokes, would that be all right with you or no? Of course not. I mean, we write, that's what we're selling. It's not, that's, I have to explain to people sometimes, comedy is not like music. Comedy really relies on misdirection and surprise. So if you've heard the joke already, um, it doesn't work as well. So it's not like if you're in a bar and you're playing a Beatles song, the bar pays a company for the rights to play everybody's music. And so the Beatles get, they don't get money every time somebody plays a song in a bar, but they get money for having published the music because they sold the public publishing rights. Comedy doesn't work that way. You don't get to tell other people jokes. Oh, wow. Well, and that's, that's it. That's why when they tell comics when we start out, usually they say, don't be an observational comic. You should make all your jokes about yourself because nobody can do your act if it's all about you. And, it, you know, it's not perfectly true, but nobody else is going to be doing you might be a redneck if or talking about nobody's going to be talking about my family the way I talk about my family. And nobody's going to have the same fighting a parking ticket story that I do because it happened to me. And if they do, I have the photographic evidence to prove it happened to me. Do you find that it's, is it important to have a catchphrase or a catch line uh, like, like uh, redneck is, as an example, or uh, get her done or some of the other ones? Do you find that that is helpful to, to develop that kind of catchphrase that is you, you can call your own? I think if you can find something that works, that would be a great idea. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield certainly did well with not getting any respect, but very few comics, I think, have that. If, if you find it, fine. But I don't think people should go looking for it because I, I think that's that's the wrong thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Again, by the way, and just to, just to brand you again, sir, uh, Sean Eli has been our guest and uh, www.brainchampagne.com. Um, now, this this uh, thing you're doing this weekend for 10, um, 
is that you know, a private party or can anybody kind of, kind of show up? Well, it's in somebody's backyard, but I'm bringing a speaker system. So who knows? Maybe the neighbors will hear people laughing and come out. No, that'd be, that'd be great fun. That'd be, it, it is awesome having you here, sir. I'm, I feel sorry. And I don't strike that, strike that. I don't feel sorry, but I'm, I, I know how big of a challenge it is for you because you can't get in front of a bunch of folks right now because of COVID, but I'm hopeful that in the new year, 2020 is really sucked. I'm hoping that 2021 will be a lot better and that you'll be able to get back to doing what you do best. I'm thinking by May enough people will be vaccinated that everything will be back open. I I, I agree with you. Now in your neck of the woods, you're, you're back East. How, how is everything going? Is it, is it rising? Like here it's doubling and it's rising again. It's rising here, but I think at least in the New York area, more people are wearing masks. I mean, we're a congregate, we're a populated area. People are, you know, in big apartment buildings, but more people are wearing masks. And I think more people, not everybody, but also more businesses are closed and people are trying to maintain social distance when they go to stores. And maybe more people are paying attention to COVID and getting stuff ordered. Like, I'm not going to stores. I'm getting everything delivered. So I'm reasonably safe, but it's, it is getting worse. I mean... They're closing schools and a lot more people are working remotely. But there are some places like North and South Dakota that's just really bad now. Well, that's, you know, who knew if a quarter million bikers got together on a, on a Saturday night that they might have problems down the road. But uh, that was Sturgis. And- well, yeah, I think alcohol is really the problem because when you get people drinking together, they're closer um, and they shout because they're in bars that play music. I mean, I think. For a while, New York City was talking about limiting the volume of music in bars because the louder a bar is, the more people shout, and then they're just, you know, blaring COVID at people. But I think they should just close. As, as much as it pains me, because essentially my work is working in a bar, um, they should close bars until this goes away. Yeah, that, yeah they should. They should. Uh, another question. <laughs> for you how do you make a joke out of some of the stupidity that i see in some parts of the country where people are saying i ain't gonna wear a mask i'm not gonna do that that's that's dude that's that's not even here it's not it's a fake thing can you make a joke out of that well my best friend died of covid early on so sorry yeah so i don't think it's something i really want to talk about and i mean not i don't mind talking about with you but i mean on stage especially because I think people are going to places like a comedy club to get away from all the crap that's going on in their life. But I mean, I say, you know, COVID, you know, not wearing a mask is like shooting a gun in the air. And if you think it's fine to shoot a gun in the air, all I'll say is shoot it 100% straight up and down and then stand still for 25 seconds. (laughs) Yep. Well, that's exactly, really, that's exactly what it is. Uh, because you're you're putting your friends, your family, and you know I'm an older guy now, and so my son can't even come over here because he's, you know, out and about in the world and stuff. And you, we just have to be careful because I don't want to get that thing. That's nasty. Yeah. You know, I was you know the usual fights on on Twitter and Facebook where people are saying, oh, you know, there's only a this percent chance of death, and if you're longer younger, it's much lower. And I'm like. I'm not worried about dying. I'm worried about the fact that there's some after effects that don't seem to be going away with some people. And I don't want to be somebody who was in perfect health and, you know, worked out every day. And then all of a sudden I can't walk up a flight of stairs. 
and sometimes that can, and what they're finding out now is sometimes that happens for a very long time. It's yeah, well, a week and it's done. Right, and if it hasn't gone away yet, they don't know if it's going to go away. COVID's only been around for you know ten months. I know, and it's 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 sad. So it, it, it someday someday you'll be able to write a comedy sketch about a sketch about it, and and uh, it might not be today, and it won't be tomorrow, but so hopefully someday. Right, but in twenty years it'll be history, and the audience of the comedy club will be people who didn't live through it. Like I have a neighbor with a two-year-old son, and he's not going to remember COVID. Oh, I, I know. Well, I, the example that I use is uh, um, I was born. In 1957, but my birthday is 9/11, and there are now people that can vote in this country that were not born when 9/11 happened. Yeah, actually, it's my mother's birthday too. And I'd say to they'd say, "What about 9/11?" I'd say that was my mother's birthday long long before it was a terrorist date. Yeah, mine too, mine too. So you know, but uh, it, it we have a great big celebrate not a celebration, but everybody knows it's it's like, what's your birthday? 9/11. Oh, I'm so sorry. You well, know. celebrate it on eleven nine. Just pretend you're from Europe. Hey. <laughs> that'll 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 work great. By the way, we've been talking with Sean Eli. Go to his website, um, brainchampagne.com, and uh, he's you can spend quite a little bit of time there. There's lots of lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff to look at, and he's he's very gifted. And if you are a corporate guy that's booking stuff, keep his keep him in the back of your mind so that when we do open up, that you can hire him to come make your uh, um, corporate event just a little bit better because he's really gifted at that. Thanks. Not just corporate. If you have a charity fundraising event, you want to make make it a comedy fundraiser. Call me. I'll bring some colleagues, and three or four of us will entertain you. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? To, to have like the – have you thought about putting together like a group of three or four or five of you and, and then uh, uh, touring the country? And, no, not today. That's, well, I mean, usually there's three of us who go and tour the country. I have a group called the Ivy League of Comedy. That's exactly what we do. And we go to theaters mostly, but also corporate and charity events. And we just shot a TV special, the Ivy League of, not just because it was just before COVID, the Ivy League of Comedy live from the Emelin Theater. And now we're knocking on doors to try to get that on television. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So again, that is the Ivy League of Comedy. And uh, how, does, how does somebody uh, find out more about that? They go to ivystandup.com and start looking. And there's videos of, I don't know, 30 or 40 of us, mostly, mostly people having performed on television. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So uh, I've appreciated having you here, sir. Is there anything else that you uh, would, would like to add before we go? No, I don't know if you can hear it, but I apologize for my phone ringing in the background. I put the phones in another room and I forgot to close the door. Nope, you're good. Can't, can't hear a thing. So uh, again, uh, Sean Eli has been our guest. And if you want to go find out more about him, now we find out there are two places you can go. One is www.brainchampagne.com. And the other one is Ivy. Stand up. Ivystandup.com. And uh, look at both of those things. Cause I think it would be great for, to, to, you know, and for Bill Gates to hire, you know, the four, three or four of you to come over and do a, a corporate thing here. I think Bill Gates can even afford us. Uh, maybe. Yeah, well, yeah, probably could. Probably could. So I mean, uh, he's given most of his money to charity, but I think he still has some left. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, it keeps making more because um, the stock goes up and all that kind of stuff. So back back when he was, you know, still rich, uh, somebody calculated that 
he couldn't spend it faster than the interest comes in. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Then it wouldn't, wouldn't that be a horrible problem to have? Well, that's why you give it to charity, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that he's doing the the, the good work that I, I think he is from from AIDS to to a bunch of other stuff that he's involved with. I actually really I, I hated him at the beginning because he had all that money and he was doing nothing with it. But then when he founded the Gates Foundation, I like his business model, which is we are so frigging rich. We don't just say, oh, let's help a little bit here, help a little bit there. It's like, let's find a big problem like malaria or tuberculosis. And we have enough resources to actually solve the problem. So there, there'll probably be no malaria or tuberculosis in five or 10 years because, because of this research. Wouldn't that be a legacy to be able and to say? Don't think about it. I was, in, I was in South Africa, so I'm a little cognizant of malaria. And it's a, it kills millions of people a year. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's not something, because this is not here, it's not something right. that you think about a lot. Uh, but, you, but you're right. So malaria would be uh, elsewhere a really big deal. Yeah. So and that's, go ahead. I was just going to say they're working on it. They have things to help prevent it. But if they can come up with an immunization or a cure, that's a big deal. And he's working to do that. And I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's one of the main focuses. Sean Eli has been our guest, and go to www.brainchampagne.com, or you can, you know, I, I need to have a frontal lobotomy um, because I can't say that brain champagne very well, but the, 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 there we are. Come on, you've done it perfectly 10 out of 11 times. I think you're pretty good. <laughs> do you ever, at the, before you go, do you ever at the end of a show and you're back in your hotel room, do you play it over and over in your mind? Or if it, once it's done, it's done, you put it to bed and go on with life? Well, a combination of both. So here's the thing. Here's the advantage. I started in comedy a little later in life. And when you're 20 years old and you have a bad show, you're miserable for a week. When you're 40 and you have a bad show, you're like, I have the wisdom to realize that's behind me. The question is what went wrong and how do I deal with it? But the beauty of being a stand-up comic is, you know, very often in life, Somebody says something and you're stumped and then going home or a week later, like I should have said this. Well, I can tell a story where I pretend that I actually said that at the time it happened. <laughs> so you can keep building on the story as, and, and do you run them through your mind and keep, and keep developing jokes in different ways to t tell a story at the same time? Yeah. You know, there's, I don't understand comics who just sit down and write because I only sit down and write if I have something to work on. But a lot of times I'll just walk around my house going through my act and I will think of additional punchlines or better way to phrase the punchline just from talking to myself. Now, do you write that down or do you just have a good memory that you can just remember? I, I stop immediately and run to find a piece of paper. But there are times I'm working out, like I go for a run and I think of something and I hope I remember it when I get home. And I would say it's 50-50. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I can understand that. Well, I'm hopeful that we will see you on uh, uh, Netflix or with your uh, great big comedy special real soon. Are you in negotiations with anybody about doing that? No, we just started knocking on doors. And with the COVID, it's really even tough to find people because you can't call them in the office and hope to get through to them. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all working from home now. Yeah. You know, so that's... And they frown on having people ring their doorbells. They don't come to the door. 
I don't know. I haven't tried. <laughs> well, I'm having something delivered today, and, and um, um, they said originally when I bought it, there was this thing called the White Glove Delivery Service, and they yeah. would they would do a really nice job, and they would make sure everything is set. And so I called them, and they said, okay, um, how much is this White Glove Delivery Service? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. This is the time of COVID. We don't do that anymore. We drop the shit off and run. Um, yeah, well, then you paid for it, and you're not getting the service. Exactly. And so they make more money. Anyway, it's, it's, it sucks. So again, we've been talking with uh, Sean Eli, www.brainchampagne.com. Go there, go see him when the, whenever he's out and about. And I appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, it's been fun. Thanks. And you're welcome back anytime that you would like to. And, and you can punch up my, my opening and my closing. So I'm going to play my closing so you can, so you can, you can punch that up for me. We'll see you next time, everybody. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other is all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report. Well, thank you, young man. That was a great deal of fun. Thanks. I appreciate it. Um, I 